Opening. Yes, the Whitemans are on vacation, and I hope they have a wonderful, restful time. I don't like it when I have a week without my partner in ministry, but I'm so happy for him. Do take advantage of whatever you can find in the gym for the yard sale. This week is exciting because VBS finally kicks off, and so that's why it looks like we're half camping, half in church up here on the platform. Uh, we also have our other adult classes being offered, so plan to come out and join us 6 o'clock this Wednesday, and, uh, and we're going to have a great time. Today's message is entitled, Snatched from the Fire. Have you ever had anybody accuse you of something you didn't do? I mean, just somebody just flat out trying to get you into trouble. Not only do they accuse you to your parents or your teachers or or uh, they just start all these bad rumors about everything you've done in your workplace. Um, they may even share some things that you confided in them in private. You know that feeling that I'm talking about, though. That, that sinking, gross, awful, terrible feeling. That pit in your stomach sinking where you're angry and mortified and upset and scared all at the same time. I get that feeling more often than not at this moment. When you get pulled over, Right? You ever been pulled over before? I used to have a Nissan 200SX, and uh, it's this little sporty black car. I had nice rims on it, tinted windows. It's one of those cars that uh, a lot of people like to trick out to make it a lot faster than it's supposed to be. Uh, and the only times I've ever been pulled over have been in that car that I owned for 10 years. Um, and so I, I got pulled over for not coming to a complete stop in a small town. I got pulled over for uh, accelerating too quickly when uh, the speed limit changed. Um, I got pulled over multiple times because my tent was too dark, and eventually I had to get it stripped. Uh, one time, I got pulled over after a long trip. This is when Lee and I were still living in North Carolina, and we had taken a trip to Kentucky, and we're coming back. And somebody had uh, gifted me with a six-pack of AL8s. You know what ALA, it's like a Kentucky soft drink. It tastes like flat ginger ale. Um, wasn't crazy about first. It grows on you when you go to school there for four years. Anyway, uh, so, but it was in glass bottles, and we had a couple open, and they were in the front seat. And so when I get pulled over, I got pulled over the exit before our exit to get home. And I'm like, oh, no, what is going on here? That darn car struck me again. And the police officer came over and then noticed that we had glass bottles in the front seat and a couple were open. And then so he was asking if we were drinking and trying to figure out if I could make sense, which when you're nervous, you don't make much sense anyway. And I'm trying to explain to him that this is not alcohol. It's a soft drink from Kentucky and my voice is squeaking. And I'm like, do you want one? And, you know, all this kind of stuff. Uh, <laughs> So how do you explain to a police officer in North Carolina what AL-8 is? You just can't do it. But after a lengthy discussion, he determined that I wasn't drunk or impaired, and he let us go. But those kind of experiences, you don't ever leave behind you. You get that sinking feeling. Those lights go on. Maybe you hear a siren behind you and think, what did I just do? Sometimes you get that sinking feeling because you know what you just did. Uh, you, you've, done, you've broken the law so many times and never been caught for it, and finally you get caught, and then other times you have no idea. Um, so remember that feeling. 
embrace that feeling right now as we get into Zechariah chapter 3. Because that is your emotional connection to this passage. Where you're being accused of something, either you're guilty of it or you're not, but you have that feeling in the pit of your stomach. Zechariah chapter 3 verse 1. It says, The angel showed me Jeshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. The accuser, Satan, was there at the angel's right hand, making accusations against Yeshua. Isn't this an amazing passage? This is a vision. Okay, This is another vision that Zechariah has at this night. And in this uh, vision, he sees Yeshua, somebody that he knows, the high priest um, who's there. And it's, it's kind of reminiscent of a courtroom setting, right? There's Yeshua, there's the angel of the Lord, there's Satan, and then there's God. And first off, let's just look at who Jeshua was. He was a priest during this time when they're trying to rebuild the temple and the city walls and everything else. He is the guy who is his, it's his task to reestablish worship in Jerusalem after the exile. So high profile situation, a lot of pressure, right? Who wants to be the guy to reinstitute, reinstitute worship after 70 years of exile? And there, in this setting, is Satan speaking to God, accusing Jeshua of everything he has ever done wrong, giving every reason why Jeshua can't be the high priest, why he's unworthy of the role, and airing out every sinful thought and action that Jeshua has ever done. Sinking feeling. Right? Jeshua, right there. Sirens going off, lights spinning. This is him in the courtroom. And yet, think about it. Who would know better than Satan, the great liar and deceiver? He would be part of so many of the temptations that Joshua had faced. And, and the devil keeps a long list of wrongs, right? The opposite of love. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Oh, Satan doesn't let anything go. Has the devil ever done this to you? Has he ever told you how awful you are and how unworthy you are to have Jesus in your life? Has he pointed out every wicked thought and action you've ever taken? Even the hidden ones that very few know about. Have you believed when he said God can't use you because of who you are and what you've done? I don't think there's a person in this room that cannot relate to exactly what Jeshua is facing. I love this passage because Jeshua's experience is all of our experience. All of our experience. Whether the devil's accused you or you yourself have accused yourself, the truth is that our past and our sin and our shortcomings have many times crippled us. So let's put ourselves in Jeshua's shoes this morning. We may not be the high priest of the temple in Jerusalem, but I want to tell you, whether you have trouble believing it or not, that God has a calling and a purpose and a plan for your life, and the devil is trying to derail it. Every single one of you has that. Every single one of you has a family that God's placed you in, a workplace environment, a neighborhood, people around you who are desperate for truth, and you are the beacon of light, and he wants to derail that mission. So, how does God the Father handle these accusations as Yeshua stands humble before him? 
Well, let's, let's gain the proper perspective again. This isn't a police officer by the side of the road. This is the devil, the greatest villain of all time, the father of lies, the most evil, the most corrupt and sinful being in existence that wants nothing more to destroy you for all of eternity. And God is not just a judge in some courtroom hearing the accusations. He holds the universe in his hands, and in the span of a couple words, he can determine your whole fate. Greater than any large fine, longer than the worst prison sentence. He can send you to the place reserved for the devil and his demons, depending on the choice that he makes. And the determination he makes is for all of eternity. So yes, that feeling you have when you've got pulled over, pales in comparison to this, right? This is eternal destiny we're talking about. Yeshua is standing before God, the devil's bringing accusation, and he is stuck at the mercy of God. Verse 2, And the Lord said to Satan, I, the Lord, reject your accusation, Satan. Yes, the Lord has chosen Jerusalem, rebukes you. This man is like a burning stick that has been snatched from the fire. Ooh, I like that verse, don't you? He rejects the devil's accusations. Not only that, he rebukes Satan. I love it when God rebukes Satan. Shut up, man. This is my world. This is my courtroom. You be silent. And then he calls Yeshua a burning stick that has been snatched from the fire. Some of you may have heard this story, but John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, the reason why we have a Methodist church, when he was just a child, his home was on fire. And at the age of five, he was caught in the fire. And so if you know the Wesley household, they had lots of kids. And so they're rushing to get everybody out. And uh, they thought they had all the children, and they start counting heads and somebody's missing. And a farmer coming by noticed that there was a child at the second story window, flames behind them, calling for help. And so he came over and they did like a, a, a human ladder where they stacked each other on each other's shoulders until they were able to pull this little John Wesley out of the house, out of the flame and fire. And soon after, the flames consumed the whole house and destroyed it. But ever after, for the rest of his life, John Wesley referred to himself as a brand plucked from the burning. <laughs> but I think we can all claim this as well. Why would God reject Satan's accusations against Yeshua? Maybe because they weren't true. It's possible, right? Maybe it was just harassment from the enemy. But I don't think that's the case. I think Satan had grounds for every accusation. Even the description of burning sticks snatched from the fire illustrates that he was already in the fire, partially consumed. He wasn't rescued from being thrown in the flames. He was already in it, and God pulled him out. So it wasn't Yeshua's character or personal holiness that saved him from the devil's accusations. He was guilty. He was caught in the act no excuse or reason to be set free. And yet God says, shut up, Satan. I deny your accusations. Let's see what God does next. Yeshua's clothing was filthy as he stood there before the Lord. 
So the angel said to the other standing there, take off his filthy clothes. And turning to Jeshua, he said, see, I have taken away your sins, and now I am giving you these fine new clothes. Then I said they should also place a clean turban on his head, so they put a clean priestly turban on his head and dressed him in new clothes while the angel of the Lord stood by. This, folks, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is it. We all come to the Lord sinful and broken and deserving of the full consequences of our sin, which is death. And the devil has every right to say what he will about us. Every right. And he's got every record. Everything you've done to stealing that pack of gum when you were three years old. Every time you lied about stealing cookies from the cookie jar or whatever else. He's got a record of it all. We all deserve it. And he tells God, you can't have them. They're mine. And yet God, for us, rebukes the devil tells him to be silent, and says, I still want them. So, let me remind everybody in this room that salvation is available to all of us, even the worst of sinners. For God so loved the whole world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. Your goodness, your great deeds do not save you. It is the grace of God where God looks at you knowing full well how terrible you are and says, I still want you. Most of you know, if if you don't, I am currently a foster parent. I've been a foster parent off and on. I'm an adoptive parent. (laughs) And I have such a love for people who are also foster parents that as they go through the catalog of kids and the phone calls they get, they don't immediately say, hear the laundry list of what this kid's done or what he's been through and says, oh, no, no, I don't want them. You got a better one? I love foster parents that say, yeah, give me your worst of your worst. (laughs) Because that's Jesus. I don't care what they've done or where they've been, I'm going to give them a home and an environment and show them love they've never received and have them take my name on. We become holy and clean and pure after our salvation as we allow God to wash us of our sin and change us from the inside out. Notice that as he stands before God, he's filthy. And after God saves him from the accusations of Satan, that's when he gets changed and purified and all the rest. Internally, we tell ourselves, I can fix myself well enough and then get right with Jesus. So no one has to know about my sin. That's not how it works. He'll maybe want me more than, no, he likes you smelling awful. He likes you filthy. He likes you wretched. He likes all the scars and wounds. It's after that where he says, let me wash you. Let me give you new clothes. Let me give you new life. Let me breathe new life into you. He does the work in us. And so even now, even in a service like this, the devil still tries to say, yeah, that sounds good, but that's not for you. (laughs) He doesn't shut up. So if he's doing that to you right now, tell Satan to shut up. The name of Jesus. Because these are promises. 
for us. Verses 6 and 7. Then the angel of the Lord spoke very solemnly to Jeshua and said, This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. If you follow my ways and carefully serve me, then you will be given authority over my temple and its courtyards. I will let you walk among these others standing here. Our part in all of this is to embrace who God is making us, to believe that God's word can change our sinful patterns of daily disobedience. Now, how do we know uh, God's ways? He says, I want you to follow my ways. How do we know what his ways are? His word. Number one, it's instruction for life. It's Torah. That's what it's meant. The Torah means God's law or God's instruction. It tells us how the world really works. It tells us who we really are. It tells us what the secrets of eternity are. And if you're not reading your word, how do you know the way? The second way is prayer. Well, God, I've read your word. I just don't know how it applies to my life. So as I go about my life, show me how to live it out. And the third way is Christian community. Surround yourself with brothers and sisters who also have that eternal perspective that can help you walk the journey. We're not called to walk it alone. We're called to walk it together. Even in this passage, it's Zechariah that says, hey, hey, he needs a turban too. <laughs> I know he's got a new robe, but he's got, he's got a job to do. Get him a new turban as well. Why can we do what we're called to do in our life and ministry? Is it because we're superhuman? No. Is it because we're perfect or better than anybody else? No. It's because that we are burned sticks plucked from the fire. Some days we still smell like char, and that's okay. We've been saved undeservedly from our own demise, and God is making that burning stick into a beautiful tool capable of ministry. He turns burning sticks into shepherd's hooks. He turns burning sticks into staffs. He turns burning sticks into soup spoons. <laughs> he takes burning sticks and makes it into spear shafts. He takes burning sticks and turns them into walking sticks for weary legs. Yes, you may have been a stick singed by the flames of hell, but now you're being reformed for holy use and eternal purposes. Okay, I'm going to say a Chinese word, and I'm going to butcher it, so just bear with me. Shu Sugi Bon. Has anybody ever heard of Shu Sugi Bon? It's actually a method of burning wood to protect it and preserve it. So this Chinese method is you would take a piece of wood, and you would burn the exterior of it, and then cover it in natural oils. And that burning of the wood would protect it from pests and from fire and from rot. It would also be a repellent and a shield from the sun. That wood was better because it's been burned. But my scars, oh, you're better because you've been wounded and those wounds have healed. My son Judah broke his leg when he was two-ish, three-ish years old. Unfortunately, I was part of how it happened. But I remember the doctor saying, because his bone's been broken and it's rehealed, it's actually become the strongest bone in his body because of how it is healed together. 
So if you start smelling like char one day, <laughs> just remember, I've become fireproof through the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's keep reading, verses 8 through 10. Listen to me, O Jeshua the high priest, and all you other priests. You are symbols of things to come. Soon I am going to bring my servant the branch. Now look at the jewel I have set before Jeshua, a single stone with seven facets. I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and I will remove the sins of this land in a single day. And on that day, says the Lord of heaven's armies, each of you will invite your neighbor to sit with you peacefully under your own grapevine and fig tree. This whole vision comes back to Jesus, who makes redemption possible. We've been talking about the high priest Yeshua, which is derived from the name Joshua. And in the Greek and the New Testament, Yeshua is Jesus. Jesus, for God himself would become a new Jeshua who would take on the accusations of Satan for the whole world. He would suffer and die for them as God the Father would allow it for our sake might take our eternal punishment that we might be free. So what will happen when God himself becomes Jeshua or Jesus, is this courtroom setting happens again. And the devil is throwing every accusation against our Savior. And you know what God the Father does? He remains silent. And Jesus remains silent. And then he dies for us. So that this instant recorded in Zechariah 3 could happen. So the father could say, Satan, no! <laughs> I want him! He's been bought and paid for. His penalty's been paid. I don't care what you got on him. The punishment's been paid. He's free! I love the fact that God takes the name of this high priest and says, I'll make it my name. Jesus is referred to as the branch in this passage, as well as the seven-faceted jewel. To understand the branch, we've got to look at another prophecy written some hundred years before by Isaiah. And it's a clear prophecy about Jesus Messiah. I'm going to read the whole chapter 11, so bear with me, because there's so much good stuff in here, I don't want you to miss it. I'm not going to elaborate on it, but I just want you to soak it in. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance nor make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. In that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion. And a little child will lead them all. 
The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put its hand in a nest of of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. In that day, the heir to David's throne will be a banner of salvation to all the world. The nations will rally to him, and the land where he lives will be a glorious place. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to bring back the remnant of his people, those who remain in Assyria and northern Egypt and southern Egypt, Ethiopia and Elam and Babylon, Hamath and all the distant coastlands. He will raise a flag among the nations and assemble the exiles of Israel. He will gather the scattered people of Judah from the ends of the earth. Then at last, the jealousy between Israel and Judah will end. They will not be rivals anymore. They will join forces to swoop down on Philistia to the west and together they will attack and plunder the nations to the east. They will occupy the lands of Edom and Moab and Ammon will obey them. The Lord will make a dry path through the gulf of the Red Sea. He will wave his hand over the Euphrates River, sending a mighty wind to divide it into seven streams so it can be easily crossed on foot. He will make a highway for the remnant of his people, the remnant coming from Assyria, just as he did for Israel long ago when they returned from Egypt. This is a prophecy of Jesus' full redemption and a glimpse of eternity where we will reestablish through God in a new way, in a new world, where we will live with the animal kingdom in peace again. Beautiful. A promise of God. And so this vision would remind Zechariah of this prophecy that he read with Isaiah, and he's saying, whoa! Whoa! What you're doing with with Yeshua is a a foreknowledge, an example of what you're going to do with the Messiah in the future? Oh, thank you, Jesus. And now we, here in 2022, are on the other side, 2,000 years after that redemptive moment, and we await the full coming of God's kingdom here. Now, the seven-sided jewel with the inscription is a little more difficult to understand. Seven is the number of completion, pointing to the, van, plan, the fact that God's plan is perfect and will fully come about. It's not an if, it's a when. What's the inscription? We don't know. My assumption is Yeshua sees his name on the stone. <laughs> As I've already told you, God takes on his name and becomes the great high priest and king of in David's line. He redeems the high priesthood because at his name, the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You may not think you're much, Yeshua, but I love you enough to take your name and redeem it and make it the most powerful name in the universe as it becomes mine. And you take my name, my last name, you become my heir as well. 
It must have seemed impossible that all sin would be removed in a day. We read that, and I'm sure they're like, oh, really? The sins of the universe removed in a day? Yep. Happened. When Jesus says, it is finished, that's what he was referring to. In a day. So God's grace for us does not give us future destruction or peace. So, as we all stand accused of Satan here this morning, there's three things I want you to remember. You can be forgiven by God if you confess your sins to him and believe. Forgiveness is available. The only thing keeping you from it is you. It's been paid for, <laughs> lovingly, the highest cost. But, but I deserve, yes, you do. <laughs> you deserve the punishment that you're supposed to get, but Jesus did it. Has anybody ever bought something for you and you still insisted on paying for it at the cash register after it's already been paid for? That's stupid, right? Been paid for. He's not going to go back in time and say, let me exclude Melissa. No, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Number two, you can be made new by his awesome power in your life. So when we renovated this platform, we also replaced the cross. And you know that Chinese word that I said improperly? That burning is exactly what we did to this cross. We burned it the exterior, and it makes it more beautiful. And so now when you look at this cross, I want you to remember, I am a branch pulled from the fire. And that cross gives me life. Number three, our part is to follow God's ways and carefully serve him. If we do so, our future hope is one of eternal peace and joy. I guarantee that Yeshua, even after God said what he did about him, Satan still tried to find a way to crush him. Jesus told us, in this world you will have trouble. We will all be tempted. Temptation is not sin. Giving into temptation is sin. So if you're, being str if you're struggling with temptation, guys... The truth of the matter is, that's a good thing. Well, how is temptation a good thing? Because the devil knows what's coming next. And when you have a hard day, and he's tempting you and hitting you hard, God's got something planned for that day, and he wants to derail you before something bursts forth. So if you have a heavy day of temptation or burden or accusation, you call a brother or sister in Christ and say, pray with me because God's about to break free and the devil doesn't like it. That's the truth of it. A change of perspective. I've been bought with a price. My life is paid for and God has taken me and made me new. Stand on those promises daily and we walk in victory. Lord, I thank you for this message and how it meets all of us where we are. I thank you that the gospel is clear in Zechariah. So clear. 
that you love us. You know us and you still love us. You still choose us. And so, Lord, there may be someone in this room today that needs to give their life to you for the first time. They may not have the words to say. So start with, forgive me, and I believe. And there may be some of us in this room who have believed the lies that we've been told, and the enemies derailed us, and we've forgotten who we are. And we've tried to clean ourselves up on our own. We've tried to hide our sin and it hasn't worked. Let us come back to the beauty of the picture of the gospel here. That says, no, just receive me. Just receive my grace. Just receive my forgiveness. Let me clean you up. Let me make you new. And Lord, help us to never forget that we've all been plucked from the fire. But just because sometimes we smell like smoke, just because we've got some charred ends, just because, Lord God, we're not what we think we should be, a a picture of perfection, oh, we are better off. (laughs) Because your blood covers over every scar and every wound. And your plan for us is good. And you're, you're, you're... planet is complete and we live for eternity and not for the moment so meet us now as we prepare to worship you one more time in this service we pray amen invite the worship team to come forward we have one more song Uh, please be obedient to what god leads you to do be encouraged john wesley can't just claim that verse let's claim that for ourselves i'm a i'm a, a a branch snatched from the fire.